Hi, Liz. Hey, Brace. Can I ask you a bit of a personal question? Mmm, okay. Do you have a lot of jewels? I'd say I have a few. Me too. In fact, I have a lot of jewels. But one thing that's on my mind all day, every day, and all night, every night, is how do I keep my jewels safe? Okay, do you also me... wonder that, Liz? <laughs> is, that a, is that a question you also ask yourself? I can't stop thinking about how to keep my jewels safe. Me too. In fact, it's almost driven me to the brink of suicide quite a few times. I've had the gun in my mouth. And then I remember something. There's a company called Simply Safe. Have you heard of them? I have. Simply Safe. They keep their things simply safe because to me, the greatest jewel in my life is my daughter. <laughs> and one of the things that I'm most afraid of is somebody coming into my home and harming my daughter. Or maybe my daughter finding her way out of my home and into the hands of a criminal. I can't abide by that. So one of the things that I'm really excited to bring to you guys today is Simply Safe has a new line of safes to keep your most precious items in your home unable to leave. I mean, I don't know about you listeners out there, but for me, my wives are total fucking pieces of shit who are always fucking their bodyguards and their personal trainers and they're going out on the fucking town and think that they can leave the fucking country and screw whoever they want, some British guy, even though he's gay and the child of incest. Okay, I shouldn't have said Good morning, Sunday morning. Weather. <laughs> How you doing, sweetheart? Uh, I'm okay. Is it Sunday? It's Saturday morning. Shh, don't tell people what day okay, it is. Okay, yeah, I don't want to leave them. Yeah, we, in fact, this is, we recorded this live on the radio, direct, no edits. Yeah. Uh, and my name is Brace. I'm Liz. Hello. We are joined, of course, by... Our producer, Young Chomsky. This is the podcast, True Anon. And we are coming to you live from Abu Dhabi, bitch. <laughs> I'm on the beach. I have coronavirus. How are they doing with that, by the way? I'm sure they're doing fucking fine. Everybody's in like a weird bubble. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you're basically locked in a bubble everywhere. Yeah, well, I'm talking about the citizens of, of places like UAE. I think all the rest of the millions of people who live in that country are probably not doing great, but who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't, they're, I don't even think that that's, those numbers are recorded. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I will say, so since we started this podcast, one thing that I've become obsessed with to the point of, um, of insanity is rescuing a princess. Brace, I told you, I don't need anyone to rescue me. But you do, Liz. You literally are in debt bondage to me. So it's like that's what made it so difficult. Like I got you to do the podcast because I got you to sign a contract. Ugh. And you know you owe me all this money. Yeah, but yeah, but fine. whatever. You know, I have been you know, I've been I scour the internet, I send women DMs, like, are you a princess? Like, is that your boyfriend in those photos? Like, is he holding you against your will? Like, can you talk for just a second? Can yeah, I you, talk can to you, you for stop just a second? Doing that, by the way? 
well, it's gotten us a lot of, well, at least it's gotten a lot of people to listen to me, not necessarily to the podcast and mm-hmm. report, you know, me, rate me, all these things. Um, but, uh, but I haven't really been able to find a suitable candidate. And then you come to me last week and tell me, Brace, I found the girl for you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in case listeners don't know, we are talking about the case of Princess Latifah, mm-hmm. the case that is sweeping... I guess the UK is really the one that's obsessed with this case. I don't know if anyone really else is. No one's really talking about it in the States. Yeah, well, it's like the Anglosphere. Like, I'm sure the Australians yeah, are That sounds good. Anglosphere. That sounds yeah, nice. The, ca- the Canadians, I'm, I imagine. I mean, the UK, they're thralled. in like a serious lockdown, too. So maybe they're sort of yeah. like, you know, they got a lot of time to look at the news, I guess. I guess that you and I were talking about this earlier today. Boris fell off. You don't hear a lot from him. The clown has retired to the circus tent. Meetings. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I, every time he goes out, to, I mean, no one really wants. He all he does is announce a new lockdown. There's yeah, always a new yeah. strain and a new lockdown. That's the only thing that's happening in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fucking wasteland. I, you know, we, I, I wish the Cold War had turned hot, so it would have been reduced to a pile of nuclear ash tanks or running. Each, let's just yeah. talk about the episode. Okay. So the case of Princess Latifa. Who is Princess Latifa, Brace? So Princess Latifah is one of what looks like to be a fucking 500 goddamn princesses who are related <laughs> to this guy, Sheikh Maktoum, who is yeah. the, 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 the Sheikh of Abu Dhabi. Um, of course, that is one of the Emirates in the United Arab Emirates and a very rich and psychotic man. And she is his kidnapped daughter. Yeah, so she's about one of 30 of his daughters. Um, I it's unclear to me. We should. I I do want to just pause for a second for our our monarchists out there. This is not like a European or a British monarchy. So like every daughter is just a princess. They're not really. He's not the king. He's not. You know what I mean? Like well, they're all just right, kind of. He's a sheikh. She's a sheikah, and that gets translated to princess. Here, uh, okay. Okay. Yes and no. But here's the thing. First of all, I was wondering, like, the people who are like really into monarchies, do they, what do they think of the Gulf states? We well, should ask Moldbug. Yeah, uh, I would prefer not to get whatever he's got onto me. Yeah. Right? I, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to catch zero pussy disease anytime soon because that seems like it's highly contagious in everything. Everybody that guy talks to, um, and it seems to be terminal as well. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm like, do these guys like, do they like the Sheik? I mean, I love I a good know. Sheik. But, I thought uh, I was talking about Habsburgs and never about the Sheiks. Who gives a fuck about a Habsburg, right? That's what I'm saying. We got these guys in now. Plus, some of these chicks have had a lot of plastic surgery and are like low-key kind of fire and mm. nice with it. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, anyway, yeah, okay, okay. So, I'm being Latifa. generous. So Latifa is one of, uh, I mean, and also the other thing is this guy's got a bunch of wives. They're all princesses too. And he's got some unofficial wives, which fellas, you know what I'm talking about. And so this man is surrounded by princesses. He also, of course, has a lot of princes, including one, his heir that was addicted to cocaine and who killed somebody in his office and then overdosed or had a heart attack later. But I think he was probably set up. Anyways, digression over. He's got this princess, and she is locked in captivity. And it's been, yeah, it's been a uh, an interesting sort of saga because this mostly all the big hubbub about this was about two years ago, and it recently kind of came back in the news. Yeah, so the BBC Panorama just released a new documentary um, about Princess Latifah, airing some new cell footage. They're kind of like um, 
first person, uh, you know, she's holding the cam, the cell phone camera up, uh, and you know, kind of confessional style talking about the conditions that she's in. She's saying that she's being held against her will at a sort of secluded villa that has been turned into a prison. She's surrounded yep. by guards. Um, the only place that she can go that has a lock is the bathroom. So that's where she was videotaping from. And she had sort of sent these messages via WhatsApp to some people on the outside of the mm -hmm. Gulf um, who it seems like they have now released them to the BBC uh, because they haven't heard from Latifa in quite some time. So it's a little bit of a dead man switch sort of thing. And this That's, isn't the yeah, first yeah, yeah. time she's done that either, which we'll get to in a second. But like, you know, it's one of those things where if you don't hear from me, put out this message and see what happens. Right, right, and right. Sure enough, the message ignited a pretty big international outcry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's, you know, talk about Boris Johnson. He, I don't know if he has said anything, has he? No, no, no. But I, a bunch it, of he, Tories have, you know, they're in uproar. Um, Dominic Robb, I think, went on Sky News and was like, we need to, we need to talk to this chap yeah dominic rob said we always raise human rights issues with our partners including the uae which i found to be a very fun <laughs> quote that we might return to later in the episode boy it must be a must be a popular topic of conversation <laughs> yeah totally um but so the reason that the, the real question is why is she being held against her will yes well, the thing about being a princess in the UAE is despite the fact that, yeah, you, okay, you're a fabulously wealthy, uh, you are, you know, part of the aristocracy of a slave state, uh, you know, you can kind of get anything you want. You actually can't really get out of the family. Like you are under a, well, what's a word that people like using these days? Patriarchal sort of system there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, so it is not necessarily the best place to grow up. But okay, yes, she's got, you know, uh, intense amounts, insane amounts of wealth uh, and can kind of do whatever she wants to a degree. But she can't, like, for instance, move to England and, you know, go to art school, start doing too much ketamine, uh, you know, maybe get really into Instagram stories and, you know, go through a series of bad relationships. She kind of has to just stick with the family and her insane father who she despises. Yeah. So a couple years ago, she actually tried to escape. And we, yeah. need to, that's, we need to get into the story here because it's actually, while this is not the center of our episode, the details of this escape are um, quite wild i don't know else to describe it it's like a it's like a fucking action movie or something and before we can really get into it i just want to do some quick background on the family's prior escapes as well um sheik maktoum of course like we said he has many 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 daughters uh and one of them a princess shamsa tried to escape in 2000 from their estate in surrey by the way Maktoum is fucking like the biggest horse breeder in the world, which um, yeah. surprised it's not a white woman. And uh, and so, you know, he's friends with the queen. He's always in England for racing season. Like, you know, a very popular kind of event out there. I don't know. Very strange people. And uh, so from his estate in Surrey, which I think is some sort of town out there, uh, his daughter runs away in the year 2000 and she makes it to London and then to Cambridge, where she is abducted off the streets by four armed men, hustled into a car, injected with some kind of uh, sedative, and then flown to the UAE, where she has not been seen since. This was 21 years ago. Yeah, no one's heard from her since. 
Mm-hmm. And Latifah herself had actually tried to escape in 2002 when she yeah. tried to like she jumped the border, right? Yeah, she was 16, um, and she tried to get away. She said that she, um, you know, she was trying to seek justice for her sister Shamsa. She was trying to get, you know, alert some people to what was going on. That didn't go anywhere. Um, and then, you know, years later, she tried to escape again, which is why she's being held uh, right now. And no one's yeah. heard from her. And her escape attempt in 2018 is, I got to give credit where credit's due. Pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I when we were reading about this, I, I didn't think it was real. Like, it, yeah. it's really crazy. But I guess if you are a princess of a, in a Gulf state, this is the only way you could escape. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I feel like you could just charter a helicopter and then, like, fly out of it. But I guess she didn't decide to go that route. I don't know. Well, I don't think she could. No, I don't think she could, actually, because I think she would have been immediately arrested. (laughs) Instead, she kind of got some inspiration from a French ex-spy who wrote this book called Escape from Dubai. I swear to God. That's literally what it's called. And she, I think... uh, in my imagination, she sees this title and is like, hey, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Escape from Dubai. She starts, uh, she reads the book cover to cover, apparently, mm-hmm. and uh, starts corresponding with this guy. Hervé Jobert is his name. Oh, I thought it was George Sorel. <laughs> no. Hervé Jobert, who he himself, okay, so he had literally escaped from Dubai years prior. He... Yeah. He owned this um, recreational submarine company that he was accused of, like, embezzling a bunch of fucking very wealthy, powerful people in Dubai Mm -hmm. uh, right around the financial crisis. He was facing, like, life in prison or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was in a lot of trouble. Yeah. He's like, fuck no. I got to get out of here. I got to escape from Dubai. So what what he does is he literally, like, dresses as an Emirati woman, like in the full, you know, veil, garb. Whole getup. Whole getup. Underneath, underneath, he's got a scuba suit on. My God. So he literally dresses as a woman, gets to the coast, disrobes, literally disrobes, scubas Mm -hmm. out, meets up with a, you know, ex-spy buddy of his. They jet ski on out of there. And he... Flies, uh, flies out to the U.S., goes to Florida. Scott free. Scott free, and yeah. I, I did, I did think it was funny too that his his submarine company was called Ex Omos, <laughs> uh, because you know we can just move on from that. Uh, but but yeah, so she reads this book and she's like, I'm gonna do what this guy did, and in fact, I'm not just gonna do what this guy did. I'm gonna get this guy to do it with me. <laughs> yeah. So she and Jobert start corresponding they're like talking for like seven years yeah yeah which you know i i gotta say like i find that's really sweet that they took it so slowly Mm. um but but yeah they are they're they are in it for a while and one of the pieces of advice that jobert gives her is you need a woman on the inside yeah so she it's a little unclear here the details but she hires and befriends a finnish capoeira instructor yeah, Tina. which is, by the way, exactly what my ex-husband did. 
to yeah. get out of something that he found really oppressive too. And let me tell you, that didn't work either. Okay. Well, Tina and Latifa become fast friends. Yeah. Um, they're doing capoeira everywhere, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Skydiving I don't know what all that over is, the place. But I'm sure they were. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, martial arts. Zumba? Bra no, it's like Brazilian martial arts. I think it's probably Zumba adjacent. Gotcha. I don't yeah, think it's like yeah. a very serious thing. I don't know. I'm sure I just offended like a ton of people. I'm sorry about that. I don't think I'm, I'm, what, what, we have athletes listening to the show now. I hope so. Yeah, me too. This is for nerds and jocks. We're here for everybody. So Latifa and Tina, they hatch a plan with the help of Chauvert. Now, what they do is they uh, throw their drivers off the scent by scheduling these like uh, uh, regular brunch happenings where they're, they, uh. they both go to these early morning brunches together. And so the day of the escape, it looks like nothing is afoot. But let me tell you, something's afoot. Oh, absolutely. And they've been around each other for so long at this point that, of course, UAE, similar to Saudi Arabia, has something called a guardianship system where basically – in this case, it's not exactly that because it's more like this would probably happen even if they didn't have a guardianship system. And the guardianship system often doesn't work with women and women anyways. But suffice to say, Princess Latifah has to have someone with her at all times. Yeah. And – Tina becomes one of these people who is basically vested with this power to be her, like, minder at all times. Yeah. So the day of the escape, Tina and Latifa, they go to brunch. Classic move. Classic. The drivers, not paying attention because they're like, Tina and Latifa, they're at brunch. It's, it's ladies, ladies' hour. Totally yeah. fine. Meanwhile, Tina and Latifa, they're in the bathroom. They're changing their outfits. They're putting on totally new clothes, totally new makeup. They throw their cell phones in the trash cans. Mm. They leave in Tina's car. She drives both of them to the Omani coast where they get in some jet skis. They jet ski out. It's rough For waters. Hours. Yeah, it's supposed yes. to be like 40 minutes or something. It takes five hours. Classic Gilligan's Island type situation. Just like, waves like oh no tina are we gonna make it latifa come on quickly yeah. they jet ski on out there they so fun meet up with jobert who's out there he's on a yacht he's on a yacht they jet ski to a yacht in the fucking ocean that's there to take them to india and so they start sailing and for some reason listen as a fully licensed sailor i will say they seem to have been going very slowly. I'm not up to date on yacht speeds or anything like that. Mm. But after about six days of not being in India yet, uh, the captain of the yacht says, we got a tail. So they've, <laughs> wait, been, can, they've been noticing. I know. I'm sorry. Wait, can we stop for a second? Because <laughs> being tailed in a boat is somehow like so, so fucking funny. funny to me. Just like in the Gulf, just like this like. I can't. I, I'm just really thinking of like the life aquatic. Boat. Like it just seems like very like 
I haven't seen it. Ah, uh, of course. Um, but it, it I have seen uh various car chases on like YouTube compilations and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they're often very fast. And this seems to be I mean, taking days. Cause it's like what? Oh, we're still being tailed by this guy. I'm gonna go take a shower. <laughs> you know, like it's like what do you do? Well, also where do you go? You're on a boat. Yeah. You can't just like say I mean, you try to sail away. They're still telling you. You can't lose them. I got to say, too, little detail about this. The yacht is called the Nostromo, which mm. is the same uh, ship as was in the movie Alien. Mm. So seems like a strange... It's chartered. It's, it's based out of... Or flagged out of America. Very. I wouldn't call my ship that. Or my boat that. Um, and, they, you know, they see these Indian uh, search and rescue planes going overhead. Mm. And then one night... Everything ends. Their dreams come crashing down. Yeah. Tina and Latifah are downstairs in the cabin brushing their teeth, and they hear boom, 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 all these footsteps, and they're like, fuck, shit, oh, no. Turns out, boom, Indian Secret Service? I don't know. What what are they? Like, basically the Marines of the Indian Army or whatever uh, are on board, and they're, like, looking for the Tina Marines and of the Indian Army. <laughs> You know, I'm a Chicks girl. Rock. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 soldiers. <laughs> no, but they're like special forces. They're Indian special forces. Okay, so Tina says they're Indian special forces, but I she seems to be basing that on the fact that they have lasers on their guns, which are like, okay, yeah, the regular Indian battle rifle often does not have a laser on it, so it's probably some kind of special thing. But also, like, why do they need lasers? It's it's a it's yacht. Nighttime. You can just. Sh- that doesn't ma- matter. You need a flashlight for no, that. No, but it looks so much cooler. It does look really cool. It looks like laser tag. Yeah, totally. And like video but, games. So they, they, and she also says like, you know, they threw a gas grenade, but like also I think it was probably a smoke grenade and then she just kind of choked on the smoke because mm. people don't generally, uh, gas grenades are not usually in heavy usage. Yeah. No, I think it was probably uh, a smoke grenade. And, uh, and yeah, they, they, they fucking, yeah, they so roused I mean, these women. There's fucking, there's smoke everywhere. There's lasers going everywhere. Mm-hmm. Tina, Latifa, they're both handcuffed, taken away. Yeah. This is the last time Tina sees Latifa. Latifa is like kicking and screaming. She's saying, you know, I demand political asylum. I'm seeking asylum. I'm a political prisoner. Saying all the things that she, I mean, I think rightly has been instructed by whatever groups. I, I'm assuming that Jobert had already had her in contact with whatever amnesty kind of yeah. groups that are out there. Um, and so she was saying all these things. They literally don't give a shit and are just like telling her to shut the fuck up. They're There's... like, give us your social security number, bitch. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's not working. I'm calling from the IRS. <laughs> no, it's like completely lawless. I mean, they're not, there's no, yeah, you know, yeah. this is international waters, baby. There's no rules. Anything's possible. Tina, meanwhile, she's being like dragged off, separated. She's told like, hey, you're going back to the UAE good fucking luck, you're going to prison for life, they're going to beat the shit out of you, you're going to get stoned, you're going to get killed, you should just fucking jump off the boat right now. She doesn't, but that's what she's told. So they take her to a black site. Yeah. Which she describes as a black site, but probably a black site. I mean, the Gulf certainly has nothing, if not plenty of places for black sites and people willing to take others to them. Yeah. Uh, she is questioned and and sort of, you know, and she's you know tossed around she's interrogated for all this time she's threatened with all these things and then a few weeks later they just kind of let her go 
Yeah, well, it seems like the British tabloids pick up the story at this point, yeah. and it becomes a real headache for the UAE. Um, that basically they try to say that, oh, this woman, you know, was kidnapping Latifa, and this is why they had instructed and worked with the Indian authorities in order to intercept this boat. You got Modi um, on the Sally being like, get me my daughter back. Yeah. It's like taken. What is did you say I, yeah, I want to be clear here, too, is that like, yes, we've been saying the words princess in, in this. And, and princess, I think, in a lot of people's minds may denote a woman of or a, a girl, even maybe of, of a young age. Latifa is in her mid 30s at this point. I think <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, 38 yeah. now. So like this is not like unmarried. Unmarried. I know. And childless. Um, you cannot kidnap like a third. It's it. You know what I mean? Like it's legally under international law. This woman is allowed to leave the country. Right. Except she's not. Yeah. No, not at all. So <laughs> Tina is Tina is eventually released and Latifa is like, you know, the subject of a ton of attention. Tina is sounding the alarm being like this woman has like kidnapped. You know, yeah. she has been kidnapped by her parents. Uh, she is like, you know, locked away. We're not seeing her. And this creates so much outcry that uh, a woman named Mary Robinson gets involved. Yeah. So she's like, uh, I don't know. She's like the ex-president of Ireland. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, amidst all this outcry, one of the wife princesses, a guy who, a woman who's married to Maktoum, who is also, you know, a princess, uh, invites Mary Robinson, the former president of Ireland out there, uh, to to get proof of life of Queen Latifah. <laughs> proof of life, which, by the way, has become one of Liz's favorite phrases. Sounds so cool. We In this case, proof, proof of, of wife. wife. And, uh, well, actually, that proof of daughter. <laughs> but uh, they bring Mary Robinson out there. Mary Robinson's this human rights campaign, real Jimmy Carter type. And, mm. uh, you know, they take these very strained, awkward photos, release yeah. them on Christmas Eve. Latifah's there. Mary Mary Robinson's like, oh, she's doing fine. She's just mentally ill. I don't know. I gave her a British accent to be disrespectful there because she's <laughs> Irish. Um, and uh, and everyone's like, no, nah, this is weird. Like, that. why yeah. is she she's just like They're locked like, away? They're like, why is the like ex-UN high commissioner doing a PR campaign for the Emiratis? Like, exactly. this is very, very weird. And it was weird. And, and it was even weirder because, like you mentioned, Princess Haya, the wife princess, she comes out and is like, no, Latifah's fine. She's bipolar. And yeah. this is a private family matter, so just leave us the fuck alone. I'm sorry. She just listens to Red Scare too much and got BPD <laughs> from it. Like, what else do you want me to do? What's even crazier is that Neri, what, two months? A month Very soon after, Haya uh, gives that statement, which is like on a radio. They're doing all these radio interviews. It's like, yeah. it's very weird. They're all over the radio talking about this. Anyway. After she she gives that interview, she it literally comes out that she has now escaped the UAE and is <laughs> seeking political asylum in the UK. Yeah, she is divorcing Maktoum and she's taking two of her children with him with her. And she's like, this guy is a fucking monster. You know, he sucks shit. He kidnapped two of his daughters. And these sort of divorce proceedings and these child custody proceedings actually end up leading to a court case, which goes all the way to the high court in, in, in the UK. And uh, they rule that 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 Maktoum actually did kidnap his daughters. Yeah, yeah. And that's like basically how we we know or how like how we actually know any of these 
the kind of more gruesome details of what's going on there because they had what's called like a fact-finding decision. So they had all these investigators. They had a ton of witnesses in this UK court. I think the case that lasted like eight months or something. I mean, it was pretty high profile. And so we hear about all these, you know, abuse claims about, you know, Shams has been missing. No one's seen her. Latifa said that she was kept in prison. Uh, She was where she, you know, endured abuse, where she was you know, being beaten, crawling on the floor to go to the back. I mean, just, you know, yeah. so uh, pretty intense. Um, yeah, because to be clear, like Latifa was tortured after she, she yeah. her escape attempt in 2002. Didn't mention this before, but she was kept in isolation for three years back then, tortured, beaten, etc. Like literally imprisoned in, in squalid, well, not as squalid as 90% of the other citizens in the country, or not citizens, excuse me, residents of the UAE, but, you know, in relatively squalid conditions for years. So, I mean, this is a huge story for a variety of reasons. Obviously, Dubai is a very popular uh, destination for expats and by expats. In in this case, when we say expats here, basically it means like workers from European and like CEOs from European and like um, uh, Europe and America. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of other expats in the country too, but they are given a different appellation. Um, and, you know, the Sheik is, is friends with the queen. You know, he's a big figure in British horse racing, you know, the UAE, obviously a former British protectorate, like, like much of the Gulf. And so this is, this is a pretty big deal out there. And, you know, like we said, Dominic Robb forced to comment. There's a BBC panorama documentary. I mean, this is, this has become a really big deal, but while I was reading about it, I, you know, it, 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 it was sort of like. I don't know. Obviously, it's a very sensational story, right? You know, we've got a kid, a timeless fucking classic. Kidnap princess, you know, locked away by this evil, you know, uh, you know, royal father. She's sort of trapped in this tower. She's, uh, you know, releasing these like little videos and stuff saying how bad she has it. You know, and, you know, not to discount that she has it pretty bad. Um, but but one thing that that is not really mentioned in a lot of these um in fact, any of the news stories that I've read about, you know, the, the, her situation in the UAE is the fact that in in Dubai and in, in, in that particular emirate and the UAE as a whole and as the Gulf as a whole, except for Yemen, um, there are a lot more kidnapped people than just her. Well, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> the sudden concern from the, you know, people like Dominic Robb and other officials at a number 10 for quote, you know, human rights violations has never really been extended that far down to the lives of the ordinary, um, even ordinary Emirati women, not even to say the migrant workers who are building the lives of (laughs) the upper, upper classes of both, you know, these expats that you're talking about, and, you know, of the upper classes of the Gulf in these Gulf cities. Yeah, so the the thing about Dubai is Dubai is not actually like an oil rich emirate. No, it isn't. 
Like it is essentially like a finance center. And that's one of the things that like the Sheik has really been huge on is making it like this is a free trade zone. Like this is a low tax zone. Move your country here or excuse me, move your company here. Like there is, you know, we have all of these amenities and it's so easy to conduct business here. And, you know, and he does quite a lot of, I mean, propaganda really on that behalf, but also, you know, these economic arrangements that they make with other countries, including the UK. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, the, the kind of cultural, I would say, like cultural trade that they kind of like. Yes. The uh, that they kind of do, like there'll be like so many like festivals that they'll host yeah. in, you know, in Abu Dhabi or in Dubai, um, or you know, conventions and you know, big kind of tech and cultural um, weapons events, conventions, weapons conventions, but all you know, finance, tech, and and. You know, trying to make it a destination, really. Yeah, I mean, and it really is. Like, Dubai in the past 20 years has gone from the, a relatively tiny, I mean, it's still, in terms of the actual sort of native peoples of of, of the emirate, still pretty tiny. But, you know, a, 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 a city and an emirate that wasn't really, you know, in the news much to being something that basically everybody knows the name of and associates it heavily with this, like, luxury lifestyle ultra rich, you know, Bentleys, you are taking in an air conditioned luxury vehicle from this beautiful airport after this beautiful airplane to this beautiful, you know, the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. And, you know, you're overlooking these, you know, sandy beaches and everything. Right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's essentially like, it's become a luxury city. Absolutely. Well, a, a lot of people built that. <laughs> yes. And because that's the thing is like, I think a lot of people have sort of passing awareness of the fact, I mean, specifically in relation to maybe like Qatar getting the right. FIFA World Cup contract and stuff like that. Um, but like to put like a fine point on it and uh, without, I think, using hyperbole, uh, the UAE, Dubai in particular, well, not even in particular, but it, Dubai especially, uh, Saudi Arabia, a lot of these GCC countries are essentially slave states. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about the GCC, you're talking about Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, right? Yeah. The, Everything the players, except the for billionaire Iraq. boys club. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. The Gulf Cooperation Council. Again, the, yeah, the Playboy Club. Yeah. Uh, it's basically a loose trade block, right? Between all these yeah, countries. But we should just, we can refer to it as the GCC, I think. And, 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 you know, a lot of these countries, I mean, UAE in particular, do not have a, a large labor, native labor force, right? They are very, very wealthy countries. I think Qatar is like per capita the wealthiest country in the world uh, in terms of its actual citizens. Mm. Um, but again, they are very poor in actual labor, right? Yeah. So basically, in the 1970s, there was a crazy oil boom, right, with the Gulf yeah. states. and That's how my family got rich. <laughs> And like, because of that, they suddenly were flooded with all this cash and investment and were like, oh, shit, we need to build up our cities and our industry really quick. You know, we need an entire fucking service industry now that we've got this huge new upper, we've got this huge upper class to sustain and we got no services to provide for them. So they were like, how do we do this quick and on the cheap? Oh, I know. Just import the fucking labor. Exactly. So what these countries did, and again, we're mostly talking about, I mean, th this, what we're talking about is, of course, mostly in relation to Dubai, but you can transpose this onto any of the countries we mentioned before and Lebanon and Jordan, and it's, well, Lebanon less so, but the, the kafala system exists there. Um, 
the Gulf countries in particular literally just purchased their entire labor force. Yeah, you said kafala system. Can you explain what that is? So kafala translates to sponsorship, uh, and it's so it's it's the sponsorship system. And and so what happens here is say, all right, you are in Sri Lanka, right? You come from a poor family. Um, or maybe even you're an engineer and you just aren't making that much. You want to sustain your family. And you read about these jobs that are open for construction workers in the Gulf. You'd say like, wow, look at these wages. You know, they're making like 26,000 US a year. Like, you know, this is, this is so good. And then you go to a recruiter. The recruiter tells you that you have to pay between one and $5,000 to get over there. Hmm. Generally, not the way that getting a job works. If, if anyone ever tries to charge you for a job, I think that is not a good sign for, for right. your upcoming labor conditions. And so though some of you, you know, sharp-eared listeners might remember we did an episode on New Yorker writer Gia Tolentino. It's New Yorker, right? Yeah, whatever. Who fucking knows? I never read a word by any of these fucking cretins, um, except for her fake apology. Anyways, so you might remember some very similar instances happening in our episode about trafficked labor into the United States. Uh, Again, same sort of system. You go to these recruiters. The recruiters, like, they can promise you a bunch of money, but you got to pay them a bunch of money first. And look, my cousin over here can offer you these great loans with insanely high interest. Yeah, like 30, and, 40% interest. Exactly. And if you're the kind of person who probably is, you know, looking for this job in the relatively on a global scale, low pay job in the Gulf, you likely do not have $5,000. So you go and take this exorbitant loan out, mm-hmm. you get flown out to the Gulf, and you are met at the airport by somebody with a contract that oftentimes, in fact, a real often amount of times, I don't know how to say majority, but like, I mean, this is not uncommon, uh, has different terms than the ones you thought you were signing up to, but you're already there. You already paid the money. And, you know, like they say, buy the ticket, take the ride. Uh, You get bussed out to a labor camp. And, um, I mean, my God, you you can spend the next three years often paying back just the loan and the interest. Yeah. So... Uh, oftentimes also what happens is these guys, you know, you, you get there, you, and you're met with, uh, you're, you're told basically that there actually isn't any work. Yeah. And so then you're there and you have to wait a month, no pay. You're accruing interest on these loans back home. You're not able to send any money back to the family, which is why you came here in the first place. Second month you're there, they say, uh, okay, we do have some work for you. But turns out that actually this month's salary needs to be withheld as a security deposit. Of course. Because, well, we don't, you know, we we just met you. We don't know you. So mm-hmm. we're taking this, this month too. Third month, okay, fine. We'll give you some. But, oh, hey, actually, it's only $220 a month. And, and actually, you know, Liz, before we get too ahead of ourselves with that, we're a subcontractor of a subcontractor. And uh, two subcontractors above us didn't get paid. So... Uh, uh, you're not getting paid. Right. So on top of like, I, I just have like, you know, we don't have to go keep going through, although I do like this little improv scene that we're doing. Um, the, the, uh, on top of the, uh, insanely, insanely, um, exploitative relation that's happening here, there is so much wage theft. It's unreal. Yeah. I mean, it is like, 
I, you know, I've, I've listened to interviews, I've read interviews with, with, with both migrants and reporters who mm. cover migrants out there. And they say, without a doubt, the number one issue for everybody is wages being just not paid, sometimes yeah. for years. Yeah. And here's the thing when you enter one of these countries as a migrant laborer, because by the way, these are migrant laborers. They are not on like a pathway to citizenship. They are not citizens of the country. They are people who are imported solely for labor and thus have, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, kind of cut and dry economic apartheid. They cannot do anything that a normal expat or, you know, citizen of one of these countries can do. You cannot be going to the Burj Khalifa if you're from Pakistan and you're living in a labor camp outside of Dubai. Um, you can only go it, there if you if you're working on it. <laughs> exactly. And then you die in, yeah. un, and are buried underneath it. But uh, they take your passports when you enter the country. <laughs> now, it is illegal to take someone's passport. And as somebody who has had my passport taken, although in, you know, in their defense for good reason, even though I was with people that I trusted and could not possibly economically exploit me, that is not a good feeling. And if your passport is taken, that means not only can you, um, you know, you can't actually go around the country because it's illegal for you to travel around without your passport. You actually can't leave the country. So you might be stuck in a labor camp working, not getting paid for years without being able to leave yeah and not only that but your your visa is completely tied to your employer yes right? so very similar to the h1b program in america yeah um but it's even crazier where you cannot even if you were to like fulfill your contract say right let's say you have a deal that's completely out of the ordinary for this situation and you finish a contract and you want to go look for other employment while staying in the in the country that you're in you have to request um like basically authorization from your past employer for you to be able to just go out and look for work yeah they have to they basically have to, have to give you permission to do so because if you were to you would then be in violation of your visa and could be immediately uh, arrested as an undocumented worker and that's the thing. That's why it's called the sponsorship system because right. you are taken there and you are sponsored by this one employer. And so now for the men, uh, again, oftentimes, you know, th there are essentially no native citizens of Dubai that do any kind of job that can be done possibly by a foreign worker. Mm. I was watching this like stupid, like little vice documentary on fast food in Jordan the other day. And they were showing these like Domino's pizza and all these things. I guess there's like a lot of fast food. They're getting real fat over there. Um, and uh, in all of the shots of the fast food places they, they they showed, every single person was from South Asia. Right. There was not a single, you know, native Jordanian working at any of these places. Yeah. I mean, in Qatar, for example, 95% of the entire labor force, like entire labor force are migrant workers, 95%. And the entire population 88 percent are migrant workers 88 percent only 12 percent of the population of qatar are qatari nationals i mean it's 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 insane and it's like it's such a it's such a, like a baffling number yeah right like and 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 you know this is uh could be a whole other episode but they have intense security uh protocols let's mm. say in place in case of migrant labor unrest yeah. and in fact a lot of their weapons buys from the u.s from the uk from these other places 
are done in mind with, you know, maybe if they're, you know, maybe some Indian guys get together and start talking about, hey, I, I want to get paid uh, this year and maybe be able to leave the country and go back to my family. They have um, contingency plans in place in case that happens. Yeah. That's actually partially why Eric Prince was hired in the UAE is to come up with security protocols uh, in case uh, there is there's labor unrest. focus mostly so far on you know imagining construction workers because a lot of this is construction um you mentioned service workers that's the other that's another huge industry of course yeah. retail service uh restaurants all of that but the other huge side of this is domestic work which is primarily uh women and children really yeah. um and it's a huge fucking industry. I mean, most of the Gulf countries, you know, so people understand too, is like, there is no, um, there are no social services. So yeah. like, there's no, all of it is privatized and then uh, privatized out to domestic migrant labor, right? Yeah. And so a lot of people, I mean, for example, if a woman was looking for a job in the UAE, working with a recruiter, instead of finding a quote unquote employer that would be like a company, they would find like a host family. And they would literally now be hired by a family where they would live in the house with the family um, as their personal domestic worker. The thing is, is, okay, you know, you're a construction worker, you get sent out there, your employer is this maybe large, maybe small, but it's still a company and you're often housed with other men, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, the men are housed in these awful labor camps, like we said, you know. I mean, they're literally labor camps. Like I just, yeah, to be like, clear, that's what like, they call them. There's like, that's, they, they literally just call them that. They're, I don't know, like six to 10 men to a room. There's like no uh, running up water. to 20 a lot of the times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like sewage. It, it's there's total like the health violations. I mean, not to get into what happened there with COVID. It's just it's really, really, really fucking horrific. And they're usually like right on the outskirts of the city. Like they almost surround the cities in like a the feudal thing is, kind of, you know, relation. The thing is with the women, though, is your employer, your host, is not this like large company that kind of just puts you in this camp and then buses you to work. Um, your employer is oftentimes the head of a family, and you're not like staying with other people from where you're from. You're staying with this family, and so everything that happens happens in the privacy of somebody else's home. There is zero, and I want to stress zero oversight on any of this. There is no like, you know, Qatari uh, labor board or like, you know, uh, you know, the Kafala like regulation, you know, system or whatever of the UAE. Like once you are in this house where, by the way, they also take your passport. Right. Like your passport is in their possession. Anything and everything can happen to you and there is zero recourse. Yeah. And I mean, as anyone can, I mean, I'm sure people listening to this can imagine immediately the amount of sexual assault that happens in these situations is, um, I mean, it's, it's rampant. 
It's everywhere. It's, it's like astronomically high. Yeah. Um, you know, there's stories of every single member participating in the assault of domestic workers. There are, um, you know, women who, you know, they there are no rooms for them to stay in, so they have to sleep in closets. They don't have, the doors don't lock. They're, you know, it's completely open to anyone in the house whenever they want. If you file a complaint with the police, the police will then ask the family. The family will then, you know, will then either, you know, lie or just say that you tried to escape, in which case then you're thrown in jail. Or, yeah. or, you know, charged a ton of money, which then you have to repay to the family. That's the thing. It's like they, they like, not only are your rights non-existent, like you live the existence of a slave. And in some cases, you know, women, I, there are a lot of Filipinas out there, like a, a shit ton of these domestic uh, workers are, are women from the Philippines. And uh, in, in one really just insane case, dozens of these women were taken essentially from the airport, bundled into the trunks of cars, and driven to Syria, where they were just given to families. And that happens a lot too. This labor trafficking, where women, uh, especially, will come to these, you know, to their their, their country where they think they're going to be working, and they, you know, they're going to be working these bad conditions there anyways, and they are sold for like as little as like five thousand dollars to families in Oman families in Saudi Arabia, families in other countries, because, you know, the trail kind of like, you know, they disappear essentially, and they're never allowed to leave these places. And there, it is like not modern slavery. I mean, that's, you hear that, that Mm. sort of bandied about a lot. It's modern slavery. This is classic slavery. Yeah. This is just slavery. I don't know what, why we have to like, there's no add on. It's just slavery. Yeah. I I was reading this thing earlier too, about talking about like the difference between like, you know, I think this guy named Michael Finley is talking about the difference between societies that have slaves and societies that are slave societies. Mm. And I think UAE in particular, just Dubai especially, because of the percentages there, uh, you know, between actual like, you know, imported labor and, and, and sort of the upper classes there, is that this country would grind to a halt if even a fraction of their slaves stopped working yeah absolutely for a simple for as little as like an hour the yeah, the entire yeah. the entire country would collapse exactly and and the thing is too it's like this like a, the the laws there i mean obviously you can imagine that the judicial systems in these countries if you know from from what we've described here are not the most um objective in the world and so there are laws like, for instance, if you have a baby out of wedlock or even if you have sex out of wedlock, that is illegal and punished by either stoning or stoning death or lashes or something like that. So when, you know, when coronavirus first hit and a bunch of people were laid off in the country, including a lot of these domestic workers, they were trying to get home. Now, to get home, in a lot of cases, you need an exit visa. The exit visa, of course, has to be got by your employer. Um you know, these women were just either cast out on the street and, you know, okay, the laws were liberalized a little around that time, especially because they're like, well, we have all these people, excess surplus population in the country. We got to get them out. They're not working. Um, But if you have a baby, and by the way, there are millions of these domestic workers there. Like, this isn't just like a few hundred thousand. Like There are millions, and especially a whole across the Gulf, like tens of millions across the Gulf. Um, If you have a baby out of wedlock, not only is that baby unvaccinated or that child in some cases, like, you know, it's like three or four or five-year-old child, unvaccinated, uneducated, stateless, you actually have to serve a term in prison before you're allowed to leave the country because you had a child out of wedlock. Now, the prisons were emptied 
because not emptied, excuse me, they cut down severely on the prison population because of coronavirus. So there's just like hundreds of women roaming around Dubai who have no money, no way to make any money. They have to provide for themselves and for a child and they're trying to get home and they can't because they had a child and they won't, they aren't allowed to do their term in jail. And this is why, I mean, we have to say too that like prostitution and sex trafficking is rampant in these countries, right? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, it's in, it's insane. Yeah, uh, you know, one that gets unmentioned a little bit in this, but we should say is Saudi Arabia. It, this is a huge industry in Saudi Arabia. In fact, a ton of women. It's it's pretty sad because I know like a lot of North African and um, East Asian women will prefer will say that they you know, would rather go to Saudi Arabia because they assume that because it's a Muslim country that the women will be treated a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Not the case. Um, and in fact, the like human sex trafficking industry in Saudi Arabia is uh, from all, you know, from all that we can understand from, you know, that we can hear from stories that, that are able to get out of from this country is fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, Make no mistake, sex slaves too. Yeah. And this is not just to cater to like the local, you know, playboys or rich guys no. or whatever. This is also to cater to your Western businessmen who come out there, or really businessmen from all over the world who come out there to do business. I mean, this is this is like in Dubai's case. I think there's something like thirty thousand, um, you know, uh, trafficked women, trafficked sex trafficked women in Dubai. Um, that is not just like to service the you know the natives of Dubai. That is to service the like the, the international rich essentially. Yeah. And they go out there and they fuck you know they fuck these women. They pay their pimps some money and like or they rape these women essentially and they, they pay their pimps some money. And it's like I, I I don't know thinking about the whole thing like thinking about holistically rather. I mean it is just fucking barbaric. Well, it's even crazier too when you. <laughs> I mean. I was thinking about this when I was looking at the response to the Princess Latifah thing and, you know, the, the you know, people from number 10 talking about fucking human rights violations and, oh, you know, we're always concerned about human rights or the fucking U.S. Samantha Power, Miss USAID herself, writing a book on, you know, how the U.S., our job is to make is to push human rights across the world and really hold people accountable for their violations and blah 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 and these are saudi arabia our partners in peace right qatar yeah. home to uh fifa world cup 2022 baby let's go these are i mean you know make no mistake like the the trade agreements and the oil agreements with these countries are you know everyone knows but far more important and far you know far more um uh, meaningful to anyone in western power than millions of these lives i mean that's Tens the thing millions it, of these lives like there's the the u.s has a 23 billion dollar arms deal with the uae in the works right now and by the way uae is one of the countries alongside saudi arabia uh that has been involved in the in the just you know a, the atrocities in yemen um and it's like the, the like they can talk this shit about Latifa and like oh you know you know Ben Salman how he killed Khashoggi like mm. all this kind of stuff like none of that fucking I mean that's the thing it's like the only time that any of these concerns about human rights in these countries will be raised is when one of the members of the upper class 
is publicly sort of like either killed in the case of Khashoggi or kidnapped in the case of Latifa. When act- in actuality, these countries, which with the full support of the international business community and, 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 and political community, essentially run on slave labor. I mean, these are these are modern day slave states. And like that's who's working on the oil rigs out there. Right. That's that's who's fucking you know you know the, building these hotels and working those hotels that the your you know your 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 businessman boss goes to before you rape some woman taken there from Ethiopia in the back of a fucking car, like it 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 it, it just it, it it's insane. And then you read about this Latifa stuff, and it's like okay, yeah, like, this is you know it's awful. This you know this princess is kidnapped, but like you know her entire life and the entire life of everybody in her family and everybody she's ever met and everybody in the upper classes there is built literally by slaves. Well, none of those girls are princesses. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, in fact, they're like, they're kind of, you know, they're the, they're the sort of dirty kind of, you know, they're from South Asia, you know, maybe they're from the Philippines. It's like, I think in a lot of people's minds, like, well, those people do domestic labor. And it's like, oh, well, the Philippines, you know, they're so dependent on remittances, right? Like, and that's the thing with a lot of these countries uh, is, is that, you know, they're poor, like Tajikistan, not have a lot of money. And so they make these deals with these countries where it's like, well, send us a thousand, send us a thousand people to work as slaves. And, you know, we'll give you a deal on some gasoline. That is something that I don't think people understand, too, is that this is all a lot of this is built up. It's built into the trade deals. Right. Yeah. And and, absolutely. A lot of aid is contingent on this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like it's it's I mean, Christ, I mean, Duterte in particular, I, I know a little bit about this, like how how like. You know, he made these sort of like speeches at the beginning, like, oh, you know, we're going to kind of we're going to demand respect for our, our, our overseas workforce and stuff like that. No, they just want the, they just want the fucking remittances. They need they need the foreign capital. Well, and if, you know, for anyone out there who thinks this is just for, you know, developing countries with their trade deals with uh, with the Gulf states, like, no, like Obama famously removed a human rights violation uh like a line about human rights violations from the tpp because uh the u.s wanted to have uh malaysia in the tpp they needed it but malaysia of course famous for what slave labor yeah malaysia wouldn't be able to join the tpp because of human rights violations so what did the u.s do oh it just obama what do we do we got to just remove that one line and everything's fine all good. And and that I think that's the thing that's that's so like striking to me about this is because you know slavery is an institution I think to to a lot of people I mean I'm sure you know people listening will well that that's so just so insane but like it is prevalent in the fucking world. You know like there there's uh, the lowball estimations are like tens of millions of slaves. I mean I, I read something about all these fucking shrimp boats, you know, mm. just filled with slave labor. I know, you know, I know very well because the thing too the definition of slave labor is I, I I don't even think I'm very liberal with it, and I see a lot of things that I would call slave labor that that wouldn't officially be documented. Slave right, labor. right, right. Speaking specifically about you know the shipping industry, and you know especially Filipinos put on these fucking ships, not paid, basically on these floating sweatshops right. for years at a time. Um, I, I mean it's just it's 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 totally. It, it's just like this organized cruelty, and it makes a lot of fucking money. I mean, again, lowball estimates of the amount of money that slavery makes per year 
like uh, the, the slave slave you know driven industries make per year is 150 billion dollars chocolate that's another thing like almost entirely derived from slave labor in africa yeah child slave labor in africa i mean it's it's just like the scale of it is is uh, it, it's just incredible So all of that is to say that I support President Biden's humanitarian intervention <laughs> in the Gulf. We need to invade Saudi Arabia, establish a beachhead there, a pincer movement from there and from Oman, meet in the middle, huge tank armies with me at the top. I get to drive a tank. And uh, yeah, it, it's... it's um, That's in the works. That's happening. The Jew lust for Riyadh. Oh my God. This That's Jew lust for Riyadh. I don't think so. Well, I mean, thankfully, our people in Israel, well, now we got this alliance with Saudi Arabia, so maybe we can get a little of them slaves. Oh, my God. I know. Awful. The most ambitious crossover yet. Jesus fucking Christ. Well, <laughs> all that is to say that if you are a princess and you are listening to this episode. I mean, I want to be need... clear, too, by the way. Like, I hope Latifah's okay. I mean, I do want Yeah, her. me too. I mean, I'm not, you know. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 it's not her fault that she was born into like this. No, I just like don't. I fucking hate the like the 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 way the press and the um and the politicians, mostly the politicians, use this shit. Really fucking pisses me off. And you know, I would think twice about watching the World Cup next year. Just saying. I would. I mean, I, I would. Literally never dream of watching the World Cup under yeah, any circumstances, watch, but especially these. Yeah, this. I one. mean, it was, it was, thousands of people have died working on it. Yeah, I mean, I also I love that 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 just there was a Guardian story that just came out. They said like you know sixty over sixty five hundred people have died in the making of the Qatari stadium in the last decade. And it's like that seems a little low. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely. think it's a, I mean, a bit higher than that. They also like don't do autopsies on people who die either, and right. it's sort of just like I, I mean, again, you're trusting this slave master's numbers on this. Mm. So yeah, it's it's it. and there's reform in some of these countries that is promised too. Like right. Saudi Arabia says it's limiting the kafala system. I think Qatar said that they're going to as <laughs> well. Bahrain said that they were in 2017. Still waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like. It just it it just it it, it boggles. No, Qatar d- d- says that they did because they established a minimum wage, and the minimum wage is two hundred and twenty dollars a month. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's you can you can afford an AJ plus plus membership there. <laughs> well, again, if you are a princess who needs rescuing, but it's not a big lift, and I can do it within a few days. Um. Please let me know. Yeah, you got to start your seven-year correspondence now. Yes. Get that jet ski license, baby. Do you need a license for a jet ski? You absolutely do not. I've driven jet. Actually, no. Wait, you do. I've just always uh, somehow got. No, you need a you need a driver's license, I think, to rent a jet ski. But I've been able to do it sans license. Now that's another thing. 
ladies, Ex- jet skis in the Middle East. Exactly. Yeah. God, remember the fucking Saudi thing with what? Hillary Clinton being like, no, vroom, wait. vroom, ladies. Start <laughs> wait, your what? Engines. Hillary Clinton like sent some tweet out when like they they officially legalized Saudi women. By the way, Saudi women still can't drive, but like uh, they and officially he's not making legalized a joke. it. I mean, they literally legally like they just. Yeah, really I'm drive. not saying that women can't drive. I'm, I can't drive. So listen, I got no fucking, you know, I got nothing to stand on there. Uh, but like, you know, they they ostensibly legalized it. And Hillary Clinton sent out some tweet that was like, vroom, vroom, ladies, start your engines. <laughs> that rocks. I kind yeah. of miss her. Yeah, she was, she was so great. Um, all right. Well, my name is uh, James Elephantis. <laughs> I'm Liz. Uh, we are joined, of course, by producer Young Chomsky, who is producing this from the basement of Riyadh Comet Ping Pong. <laughs> this has been True On, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>